0: Before our trip, experienced cyclists told us that our trip was impossible for two reasons. First of all, the taller person, usually the man, has to ride in front in order to have the upper body strength to steer the bike straight and keep everything
1: balanced. And the second reason was that uh, within the cycling community, tandem bicycles are colloquially referred to as divorce machines.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And
3: I am Jessica Hankin.
2: This week, we're continuing our series, Return to the Stoop, in which we feature a memorable stoop story and explore various fascinating questions with the storyteller, or in this case, storytellers.
3: Yeah, but before we get started, we want to thank Park School, an awesome pre-K through grade 12 non-sectarian school located on a beautiful campus right outside Baltimore.
2: Yes, thank you. And today we're sharing a story from our June 2012 show, Postcards from the Stoop. After we take a listen to the story, we'll catch up with the storytellers, Max Romano and Maya Kosak.
1: Our story begins three years ago when I had just finished college.
0: And I had finished up my job.
1: And we were trying to decide where to move next. So we decided, well, why don't we ride a tandem bicycle across the country?
0: So, we packed our worldly possessions into a four foot by four foot storage unit and found ourselves in West Palm Beach, Florida, in February.
1: So, you have to understand that at this point we had ridden our tandem bicycle a total of about 10 miles in training. Um, so, we had a lot to learn.
0: <laughs> so, we loaded our 60 pounds of gear onto our 50 pound bicycle and we both got on. And it was very much like riding a large serpent with the bike wobbling and wiggling around the road. Uh, It was difficult to go straight.
1: (laughs) So to explain a little bit of how a tandem bicycle works, um, the person in front, uh, they call the captain. And that person's responsible for steering and braking and changing gears and pedaling. And the person in back is called the stoker, and they're responsible for pedaling, yes, but more than anything, trusting the captain uh, and and being supportive uh, in that role. And something that was really important to us on our trip was that we wanted to take turns uh, being captain and being stoker so that we could trade off.
0: Before our trip, experienced cyclists told us that our trip was impossible for two reasons. First of all, The taller person, usually the man, has to ride in front in order to have the upper body strength to steer the bike straight and keep everything balanced.
1: And the second reason was that uh, within the cycling community, tandem bicycles are colloquially referred to as divorce machines.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We did not heed their advice. So off we went. We uh, figured out how to make the bicycle go straight, and we continued to ride along the Florida coast, really enjoying the beginning of our trip.
1: And right from the beginning, we started to meet just amazing people on the road. Um, one example is uh, a couple, Bill and Mary Mobeck, who we literally met on the side of the road, and they invited us into their home, uh, and we spent the night with them. Um, and uh, so Bill is 81, Mary 77. Uh, they've been married for many years, and uh, and they, they ride a tandem bicycle thousands of miles a year. Um, yeah. And uh, they told us the story of one
0: time when they had a uh, big argument, and this was the one and only time that Bill rode off and left Mary standing on the side of the road.
1: And uh, it didn't take very long for Bill to realize that riding a tandem bicycle by yourself is not very much fun. So he, uh, he turned around and he went back and he picked her out.
0: And it was really inspiring for us to see this couple cycling together into their 80s with a mostly functional
1: relationship. <laughs> Um, so, so we continued on our way. We ate our way across the deep south, and uh, this whole time we were very concerned about arriving uh, in the Rocky Mountains in April because we were worried there would be snow. But little did we know, before we reached that, we'd faced an even greater challenge.
0: So, in southeastern Colorado, we were suddenly hit with tremendous headwinds. We had 30 to 60-mile-an-hour winds coming straight at us for days. And for the person who was captaining, it was just a soul-sucking experience. The wind is deafening. It takes your entire strength just to keep the bike going straight, often only going five or six miles an hour.
1: And one thing that became quickly apparent was how important uh, the role of the stoker was on those windy days um, to be supportive and hide any sign of doubt um, and, and just and be there to emotionally support the captain to get through it. And this became rather emblematic of a relationship that at times each of us would be the leader and at times each of us would support the other in order to accomplish more.
0: So we made it through the plains and hit the Rockies. Beautiful, sunny weather, climbed the highest pass of our trip, and kept on going.
1: So a few miles later, we were in Washington State, and we're um, riding. It's a rainy day, and we're in a state park and going down a, a windy road. I was captaining. I was in the front, and it was going a little too fast, round a turn, and the front wheel of the bike slipped off the pavement onto the gravel shoulder, and for the first time, we fell.
0: And falling on a fully loaded bicycle with two people is really scary. And this was really the point in our entire trip when our trust in one another was the most challenged. And after four months of riding, it was also the point when our trust in each other was the strongest that it had been. So it was hard to feel comfortable to get back on the bike, but we were able to do that and finish our ride out.
1: Yeah, so the next day we pulled into Seattle, Washington and finished our 4,200-mile trip. And uh, yeah.
0: And at this point, we can confidently say that, first of all, the shorter person and a woman can captain a tandem bicycle.
1: Yes. And tandem bicycles are not divorce machines. In fact, I would call them relationship amplifiers. So when things are going poorly in your relationship, they can seem really intractable um, when you're you know, stuck this far apart from the other person and you have to do something together. But when things are going well in your relationship, they feel just, it feels just great because you overcome these challenges together and you have a lot of fun. Um, So after this big, long trip, um, we decided that, you know, if we can ride a tandem bike across the country together, we could pretty much do anything. So we decided to get married.
0: Um, And... The whole time we were trying to figure out where we were going to move next. And after staying in the homes of 44 different strangers along our entire trip, we realized that really we could live almost anywhere as long as we were together and surrounded by good people and strong community. So at this point, we are really proud to call Baltimore our home. Yes.
1: And we we still ride our tandem bike around town on occasion. So uh, if you see us, be sure to to wave. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Okay. Um, Before we get into our discussion with our storytellers for today, we want to thank Golden West, a vegan southwestern restaurant on the avenue in Hamden. It has a takeout window, has delicious brunch great takeout food, and you should support them. They've been really, really wonderful as a sponsor of the Soup Podcast. We also want to thank Baltimore Magazine. You can find them online and on the newsstand, and check them out for all the great local coverage of politics, restaurants, events, and all of that. Okay, now to the discussion. Welcome, Max and Maya. uh,
3: Max and Maya and I feel like Laura you picked this story and did you think it was in case the election went south we wanted the most heartwarming positive story to for like because I feel like this yeah. was that was what you were thinking is a totally. way to just like totally blow. I forgot how sweet the story was and it was such yeah. a joy to listen to it um so thanks for coming back on guys
0: thanks for having us
1: yeah it's good to talk with you
3: <laughs> so this, this, this story was told eight years
2: ago. Can you catch us up on what has happened in your lives since?
0: It's been a busy eight years. We uh, stuck around Baltimore. Max finished med school, launched a career. I started an organization and then a business. We bought a house. We had two kids. And we've continued taking some bike trips in the meantime.
1: Yeah. We, we, wow. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. We still live in Baltimore in Charles Village.
2: Nice. Well, and when you listen to the story, what were some things that were surprising or that maybe you had forgotten or that really just struck you?
1: Well, the first thing Maya said was she remembered how helpful y'all had been in helping us craft our story and tell it um, in, well. So. Oh, it,
2: well, thank uh, you. We'll, yeah. We did not pay them. We did not
0: pay you to say that. Will you not please? No. But taking a four and a half month trip and putting it into a six minute story with a narrative arc was kind of, was, it sounded really smooth. And I, you know, there's a lot of complexity to that right, process. Yeah.
1: When you start a journey like that, you sort of make a decision to set yourself towards a goal and then you go through it and it sort of feels like a whole lot of coincidences or, um, you know, chance encounters with people. Um, but then sometimes it's really nice to look back and sort of reflect on the lessons that you learned. So it was, I think it was useful. It was fun at the time to, to tell the story. And now looking back, not having listened to that for years, you know, the, this, the lessons definitely still ring true.
0: Yeah. And the, the other thing I would add is just that um, as we've told the story just to friends or, you know, at dinner parties when those were a thing or um, we have you know, a lot, we tell a lot of stories about the people we met along the way and things that happened, but the, the sort of more self-reflective piece about our relationship, isn't something that I, I always return to, um, and I think was really sort of intentionally something we brought into this story when we told it at the stoop. And so it was fun to listen back on that and think about how much that still rings true, uh, and how that's evolved for us.
2: Well, and this idea that, you know, you were taking turns on who was in front and who in, was in back. So, like, who was steering and who was, like, the power person, right? Or who was sort of um, mm-hmm. uh, captain, I think, right? And I wondered, like, is that, do you feel like that's a metaphor for, or did that give you some sense of, of a plan for when, you know, parenting? And, I mean, it's just, it feels so easy to just, like map that right on to having a family, you
1: know? Yeah, yeah I mean, it certainly was um, set a really good example. I, I'll be honest. I mean, f- since then, starting a family, I mean, our relationship started in a really egalitarian place with a lot of intention around trying to create equality in our relationship. Uh, having a child for the first time seemed... In our relationship, like the least egalitarian thing we had done so far, because I was not pregnant, I did not give birth, um, I did not breastfeed. Um, there are certain inequalities in that kind of relationship, um, and that was a new thing for us to navigate, and and has been challenging at times just to figure out, um, you know, how to contribute equally while not identically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely i rem- i still remember at one point max said to me oh can you take them i've been I've, I've been on for several hours and i sort of laughed and it was like you know let's let's not talk about the hours because you're not going to win that game but <laughs> but you need me to cover i got you like and that part i think has come through is like it's it's not it's hard it can really feel tit for tat when you're trying to balance multiple careers and not to mention virtual school and all these things um, but I think we have, for the most part, with plenty of, you know, bumps along the way, done a good job of saying, okay, you're on, like, what do you need? I'm on, what do I need? And how can we really just give each other the, the support and the space and the breaks that we need? But it's not tit for tat.
1: Yeah. and something... I mean,
0: Yeah. It's, oh, sorry. What were you going to say, Max?
1: Oh, I was just going to say something we've come to really appreciate along the way is respecting each other's bests and sort of acknowledging that we're each doing the best that we can,
0: as and are our children, <laughs> as are
1: as are our children. We're all doing the best that we can. And during yeah. the era of, of COVID, that's been you know uh, even more important. And you know, and that you know, it was the same when we were on a tandem bicycle and somebody, you know, like myself, fell. Um, I was doing the best I could at that moment and made a mistake. Um, but there's trust there that carries you through and that you can't you can't microanalyze every little decision or action somebody else makes you have to just trust that of course they're doing the best they can to get through this together and it's not they're not being selfish they're they're trying to help help everybody
3: yeah I mean you guys built such a I mean that experience of of the tandem um, journey uh, was—it built such an amazing infrastructure for the two of you to create, you know, the, to to build your world together and then have your kids together. Um, and you, I mean, it was like you drilled it into each other. This idea of like, well, when one leads, the other supports, and we take turns in that. And that is such a key thing to learn prior to having kids, for sure. Um, and I love um, the part in the story, Maya, where you talk about the fact that you know it, there was an assumption, I guess, that women couldn't ever lead, um, and that was such a nice moment of the story of the audience really responding to the fact that you certainly showed that uh, women definitely could. And that was not an issue.
0: Um, yeah, I forgot about that. That was fun
2: to to hear. <laughs> like you were you were the Kamala Harris of the tandem bike world.
3: <laughs> So, so you have, how old are your kids now?
1: Almost uh, seven and five and a half.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And then, so do they know this story and what's their relationship with, you know, bikes and in your world, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, we have enjoyed biking with them from a pretty early age, pretty much as soon as we could get them into a helmet and they could support their head with a helmet on. Um, And we started out with just little rides in a trailer or on a little bike seat on our bike around town. And then we worked up to some uh, weekend sort of bike trips um, around the region. And then we worked up to a week-long trip in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Where we were camping, and then they were like
0: two and three. At that's that time, when they were I like think. two
1: and three years old, wow. bike seat and one in a trailer. Mm-hmm. And then when they were about yeah three and four or so, we did a two-week bike trip in Puerto Rico with them. Um, one of them in a bike seat, and the other in a tag along thing where they get to pedal a little bit when they feel like it. And then last year we, just before all the COVID uh, craziness started, um, we took a two and a half month trip with them in Korea and Japan on two bike on, well, multiple bikes, (laughs) um, sort of like two tandem setups um, with one parent and one kid on each. And we all took turns uh, trading off who was with with whom. Um, And
0: in the somewhere in the middle of all that, they also learned to ride two wheel bikes with, you know, no training wheels, uh, and really enjoy biking on their own. They learned at three and four and I didn't learn till 13. So that was an accomplishment. Yeah. Wow. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't start riding a bike till you were 13. No, the story goes, I mean, my parents were big bikers a long time, like before kids. And then the story goes that I wasn't interested and they didn't push me. And then we were visiting friends, and I learned all one day when I was thirteen, out of the blue. But
3: wow! <laughs> um, so but that's know. amazing. Can I ask just a, like a logistical question? So, a, that's amazing that you've done this. But it'd be, do you, I, you don't, do you, do you have your bike shipped over, or do you rent when you get there? Is what I'm assuming. Like yeah,
0: I mean, for some trips, it would make sense to rent, or sometimes people just buy a bike and sell it at the end of their trip. In this case, we had such a specialized setup with the ways that our kids were on their bikes attached to our bikes that we decided to bring them with us. And so we actually picked our plane tickets based on what was the cheapest way to get our bikes there. But it involved some serious boxing up help from Baltimore Bike Works and um, and then shipping and then unpacking and then
1: Schlepping. Discreetly
0: disposing of our bikes <laughs> in the middle of a Korean apartment complex and, and shopping across town. Right, and, and not <laughs> to
1: mention trying to locate bike boxes and riding the other end. Yeah. yeah, and riding the Tokyo subway with three bike boxes and two tired children. Um, oh
2: my God!
1: Uh, it was it was a little bit of an adventure, but it but it was fun. um Yeah, we ended up biking uh almost a thousand miles. I think nine hundred and sixty odd miles in Korea and Japan. So we did fewer miles each day than on our tandem trip when it was just the two of us. Um, But we had a lot of fun um, and we really have enjoyed sharing that with our kids who also love riding bikes. You
0: asked what their their relationship to the story was and the way that we kept a five and six year old entertained on our bike trip in Korea and Japan was a lot of storytelling. Plenty of elaborate made up stories, but we also told a lot of stories from our lives and from our trip. So we actually went, I mean, not quite day by day, but almost through as much as our memories would allow, the whole tandem bike cross-country trip and told them multiple times about every person we remembered and different things that happened. Oh and my so god. We have a lot of familiarity with that story because we had a lot of hours to kill.
2: <laughs> so while you were riding, they they were you were telling stories as you were riding.
1: Yeah. Yeah, to pass the time. I mean, how do you keep a five and six-year-old oh, or a four and, and five-year-old
0: Practicing uh, math problems and anything they, yeah, doing Korean lessons and all kinds. I'm going
3: to say that your kids are probably, they
0: have some pretty good
3: attention spans. Like, I can't yeah. even. You know, I know
1: they can't sit still at the dinner table, But it, but it's true. I mean, when they you know, they, when they are having trouble paying attention in class or something, I'm always going to remember that they, well, they could do this. Um, you know, They're capable of concentration and achieving difficult things, even if, uh, you know, the virtual school environment maybe doesn't lend itself <laughs> to, uh, to that kind of attention.
2: Just by way of sort of closing here, um, your story, I feel like you had so many insights on what it was like to be a partnership, and I wonder if, like having had this experience taking your kids on this bike ride in Korea and japan like what what did you learn about being a family?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a great question, and we had a lot of unstructured time together on this trip, which was a real gift and actually kind of just a big warm up for quarantine life yeah. um, but we you know, over the years, they went from being in a bike seat in a trailer to now on um, being able to pedal. And actually, they literally sometimes would help us up the last little bit when we really needed help. We called it a jet pack. And we'd say, can I get some jet pack? And they would pedal their little hearts out extra hard, and you can really feel the surge. And so like, physically, they actually really contributed in a way that was significant. And um,
1: yeah, I'd say it was important for us as a yeah. family to try to do something hard. It was important for our kids to see us trying to do something that we didn't know if we'd be able to do. And then we helped each other and accomplished it together. And, um, you know, out of it, just returned home with uh, a real sense of for lack of a better word, teaminess, just Mm -hmm. a a sense of that, like we're a team and when we work together, we can achieve really great things and that we're capable of working together, even if, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we all have our conflicts and our fights and our Mm -hmm. tantrums and those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. But I know that we can work together and they know that we can, um, and we can do really great things when we're we're at our best.
0: Yeah, I
2: feel like that's a message for our country.
0: Right. Every one of us had multiple moments on the trip where we did something we didn't know if we could do. Like whether it was a kid getting up a hill or one of us getting up a hill or ordering our food in some other language or, you know, we, we were all put out of our comfort zone.
1: Like camp, yeah, many camping. Times. Camping for finding a, a place to camp in a foreign country where you don't speak yeah. the language and you, there are no campsites for the first right. time. Yeah. All sorts of adventures, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. A lesson I think for for our country too is that mm-hmm. you know, and and I think for the world is just like when we biked across the U.S., we were amazed that there were f- incredible, friendly people who opened their homes and their lives and their hearts to us all across this nation. Um, we met absolutely the same thing traveling in other countries um, uh, with our kids, and it was great to introduce them to that.
2: That's awesome. Thank you so much for reconnecting with us and for um, just bringing your can-do spirit into the podcast on this very important weekend. So really, thank you. Um, before, yeah. before we close out, we want to thank the Wine Source, which has gotten many of us through this week, supplying <laughs> us with all that we needed to tolerate these long nights and uh, refreshing um, they are on Elm Avenue in Hamden, so pay them a visit,
3: tell them the suit sent you. We
2: want, we to, want thank to thank Maureen
3: Harvey. Harvey, yes, our intrepid producer who always makes us sound great. We also want to tell you
2: all that we have a show coming up on Thursday, November 12th. It's a show about space. It's called Head in the Stars, and we have all sorts of great stories from not one but two astrophysicists and an astronaut and lots of other great people with stories that are really wonderful. So visit soupstorytelling to get information on that. All right. And we'll see Thank you guys. next week.